Well, this morning, uh, diving into the book of Ephesians, we've been working now a couple months through this book, just chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I wanted to just briefly recap where we've been, especially for some of you that might be uh, newer here this morning, but just uh, first half of our book, really the emphasis in Ephesians was identifying or clearly identifying our new identity in Jesus Christ, our unshakable identity in Jesus Christ because of his saving work on the cross for us. And so it was the first, really the first entire half of the book of Ephesians emphasizes that as new creations, as children of God. And the second half of the book we've been in, we've been working through, and it identifies what we're, how we're supposed to respond to our new identity. If these things are true about us, how do our actions align with our identity. Does that make sense? So we've been in this section of the book really focusing on that and even last week talking about some different aspects of our new identity, talking about the way we walk. We're to walk carefully, being spirit-led, just moment by moment, being careful in the way in which we walk, really, and even talking about maximizing our time last week and we ended in the last section that we're at talking about different marks of somebody that is being spirit-led. So if you're being led by the Spirit, what are some things that would be evidences of that? And the very last thing you might remember from last week was one of the evidences of being led by the Spirit was that we are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another. This was a showing that there's a very direct link between submitting and being spirit-led. Submitting and being spirit-led. If you think about that, that makes all kinds of sense because submission isn't something that comes natural to us. Can I get an amen in this charismatic church for that? Submission is not something that comes natural to us. It's something that's unnatural and so therefore evidence that there must be something at work inside of us that's causing us to submit. In other words, the Holy Spirit's doing a transformational work inside of us because it's not natural in our own flesh. It's difficult. Even if you think about the definition of what submission is, I looked that up this week, submit means to accept or yield to authority or will of another person. Anybody have trouble with this? You might have a particular area submitting to the will and the authority of someone else. Maybe it's for you with a police officer on the highway that's going a certain speed. For me, one of our struggles, this is confession time, we're in church. Um, for me, my family does this, this trip annually to Ocean City, New Jersey. And they have lifeguards there uh, that take their role very seriously, kind of like a mall cop takes their role very seriously, and, and, and here in, in, uh, in Zuma Beach, they're just, like, they're just concerned about saving lives. They're not concerned about uh, manipulating or telling you what to do. There, they're very diligent. They literally have set up flags that you have to stay in between, and if you go even within 5, 10 feet outside of the flags, you're getting whistled, you're getting called in, they threaten the police on you. I, I don't know how I would know that, uh, but... Um, <laughs> But, but in all honesty, like that's the hardest thing when someone is saying something that you don't necessarily agree with, because isn't that submission in and of itself? 
something you don't necessarily agree with, and you're called to submit to that because of the position that God's placed them above you, that's hard. It's hard. It's hard to submit when something goes against what I believe is, is right or just or, or whatever. And I'm not talking when we say submission about, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, about going against something that Scripture says that we're not supposed to do. That's, that's not submission. But submission here that he calls us to is the submission, it says, submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. This idea of adopting a servant lifestyle where you're putting the needs and desires of others before yourself. That's the framework. That's the backdrop for our conversation that he's starting today as he talks about husbands and wives. So buckle up, because it's a pretty intense passage. Let me definitely pray before we dive in. God, thank you so much for this chance to be together this morning. And man, what a beautiful morning as we see these uh, families coming up, committing to raising their children to fear and love you, God. I pray that you'd extend them the grace needed to do that, that you'd bless them in that. We ask that you'd teach us, and it's so neat that this morning it lines up the, the text points to marriage and family, that you'd speak to us directly, that we'd recognize that it's not the pastor coming up with these ideas, that it's the very word of God I pray that you'd soften our hearts even to this idea of submission, that you'd maybe rip off the layers and film of this culture that's maybe set in on us. God, that you'd speak to us directly and shape us into your likeness. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So turn with me, if you wouldn't mind. We're in chapter 5 of Ephesians. We're working through verses 22 through 33 this morning. We're going to be looking, and this is the first section of, really three sections, he's taking this idea of submission, and he's carrying it into three basic areas of relationship in a typical person's life. Some people here, obviously not married, but definitely probably know somebody that, uh, that is. He's talking here first about marriage, next week a little bit more about family, and then about employment, carrying this submission idea throughout and he starts in verse 22 with a challenge. Let's take a look because there's a challenge both for wives and then a little bit later for husbands. He starts with wives. Again, this is his words, uh, not mine. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. <sighs> Exhale there for a moment. I, I thought it would have been really neat to come and do a share teach on this one with my, my wife, but she's real busy with this Camp ABF thing, so you're stuck listening to the, the bald guy talk about wives submitting. Uh, but here's the idea again, the word submit, naturally, a lot of times it's seen as something that's outdated or chauvinistic. Here it's specifically talking, not in general terms, which was the calling that we just saw, but specific between a husband and their wife. It's Notice that it's real specific, not saying to all husbands, it's saying to your own husbands. That's called within the, the family structure of leadership that he's describing here. 
The conflict, though, over submission has gone all on for many generations, all the way back to the fall, where there's been a battle as to who's going to lead the family. And because of the misuse of this authority, we have kind of a a tainted view of this idea of submission or wives submitting to a husband. What comes to mind, obviously, is not always the best images. I don't know if anybody remembers Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, and sometimes when somebody thinks of uh, submission, they have the picture of Jabba the Hutt and Princess Leia attached. Uh, That is anything but the description that Scripture has. I want to start by just looking at a few things that submission is not. Submission is not blind obedience. Submission is not blind obedience. The word submission that's used here is the same word that's used for submission other places in Scripture describing about us as individuals within a, a, a nation to submit to the leadership, the government, an authority over us. Also the same word used to describe submission to church leadership. The word submission has room for spots where it doesn't apply. Do you remember in the, in the book of Acts where Peter and John are told to stop sharing their faith? something that was a clear calling in Scripture on their lives, and remember how they responded. They're like, sorry, we can't obey that command because why? We have to obey God before man. We have to obey God before man. So let's be careful to understand here that within the context of marriage, a woman is not expected to be in submission for anything that's ever harmful or contradicting Scripture. The idea of submission is also not belittling worth, not belittling worth. Paul, so, Paul is speaking about roles here, not worth. It's not an idea of exalting man and suppressing women, but it's a clearly assigning the leadership within the home. The idea of mutual submission doesn't mean there's no authority in the home. Here he's pointing out to in the home, there is an expectation of clearly defined leadership. Clearly defined leadership. And this is just logical to us if you think about it. Even across our culture, businesses or companies or or whatever do not, or governments do not go well when there's not clearly defined leadership, right? It's, it's important for something to function or to be assigned who is the one that's responsible for leading within that network. Here in the family, it's pointing out that it is defined within marriage that the man is to be the one that's the head of the home. He uses the picture of a physical body to make his point there. Physical body that doesn't, if you think about it, a physical body where the, the head and the body aren't connecting well, that doesn't work well. You think about even somebody that's been paralyzed, they're, they're, the signals from the, the brain aren't reaching the body and the body's not responding according to the, the brain. He's saying that, that that's not how it's supposed to work. When it's functioning properly, the head is the one that's directing the body. Yesterday, there was a, a group of about a, a dozen guys, some from our church and some uh, outside our church, that got together here in Oak Park and did a mountain bike ride. It was my literally the first time I've ever mountain biked in California. So my legs are a little jelloy here today, and those seats, man, those are brutal. But anyway, <laughs> so afterwards, we went mountain biking, a group of us. 
After we went mountain biking, we, uh, we went back uh, to Sam Farhat's house and had a little barbecue, a little hangout time around burgers, just talking. It was interesting, the, the, the subjects that come up in a group of guys after mountain biking. Ladies, you would have been very interested to listen to this. One of the guys was telling about his upbringing, how they used to have chickens when he was growing up. I don't know how this came up, but he was telling that the, that the idea of a chicken with its head cut off is actually true. Anybody grow up on a farm and around this environment? When, when a head of a chicken, this is gross in church, I'm sorry, but when the head of a chicken is removed, sometimes the chicken keeps going and doing its thing. Anybody Has anybody ever seen this in their lifetime? That's gross. That's kind of cool, though. I'm not going to lie. This idea, this, this picture, when they're connected, when they're, when they're linked together, it works perfectly. I don't know how I got the chicken idea out of this, but work with me here. The idea, the idea isn't that, that it's, it's not something that's trying to belittle. It's just pointing out that there needs to be authority structure in place. So it's not blind obedience, not belittling worth, but it is shared decisions. It is shared decisions. If you think about it, in a godly home, decisions are made collectively, not abusing authority. It doesn't mean that when dreams collide, the husband wins. That's not what it means. It means, in fact, this idea of submission should be rarely, if ever, even brought up. It should be something where the input of the wife is so intricately involved in the decision-making process that it rarely, if ever, gets brought up. My wife and I are in the process of getting some things for our home, and I'll tell you what, this puts everything you ever learned about submission to the ultimate <laughs> test. Like, I, I purchased a shower curtain this week that would not be my choice of shower curtains. I purchased some bedding this week. That would not be the choice of my, my bed. You, you see, when things are working healthy, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now, when things are working healthy together, submission is to be a joint decision-making process. On the rarest occasion, would there be a crossroads where authority has to be established and where a man makes the decision as to the direction. But know this, men, that you are accountable before Almighty God for those decisions. Wives, you can step back, duck, and let it play itself out. No, uh, 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 no, but that doesn't mean either that women are expected to remain silent in the middle of their husband making a poor decision. We're dis established to be a helpmate helping in the process. So it's shared decisions. But it's also an act of worship. It's also an act of worship. You see it there in the text that it's to be done as to the Lord. As to the Lord. When we're acting in submission, wives, to husbands, that is an act of worship before the Lord. We're told in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, even when it doesn't make sense. I'm not trying to soft sell this because it is clearly outlined that there is a, a headship. There's no other way to interpret what's defined here. And this is pointed in many places in Scripture. There is this. 
but it's all an act of worship before Almighty God. It's being done as wives are submitting or saying, you know what, I'm doing this. If you think about it, it's a trust exercise. It's trusting that his plan is better than mine, that I don't know better than he does because he's the one that put the plan in place. A lot of people think, just like in many areas of their life, that they know better than God, that, hey, it works better in our home for her to lead. No, that's contrary to Scripture. In fact, verse 23 says the husband is the head of the wife, not ought to be or could be or should be. He's literally defining it as reality. He's called this structure in place, and it's a trust exercise. Now, before all of the women in the church walk out and uh, throw a quick tomato at me, let, me, let me read the next section. You might think you have it hard. Take a look at the next section because there's a lot more said to husbands than wives. All right, verse 25, we made it through that. Shoo, give it a little exhale, okay? Are we there? Okay, verse 25. Husbands, this is your part. Husbands, love your wives... As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Men, did you catch that? Love your wives like Jesus loved the church. Love your wives like Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He put the church's needs above his own, even to the point of death on a cruel Roman cross. He put their needs, our needs, above his own, even to death on a cross. You remember Matthew 26, 39, while he's crying out to the Father the night before he's uh, to be executed. And here, these are his words. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You get the, the sense there that he didn't, he wasn't really interested in the whole dying part. He wasn't interested in that, but he's saying, you know what? It's your will because I'm putting their needs above my own. That's the model that he demonstrates. That's what he calls us to as men. It wasn't a a heavy-handed dictatorship. Are you kidding me? It couldn't be more opposite. It was a serving relationship. Do you remember him literally washing his disciples' dirty, stinky feet like that? That that was the model or example of love that he demonstrated towards towards his church. A sacrificial love has its own forms of submission, putting other person's needs, wants, and desires before your own. Wives, it doesn't sound so bad submitting to someone that's putting your needs above theirs, that's looking to love and serve you and elevate you above themselves consistently and constantly. That's not so bad. Men, maybe our wives would be less disgusted at the idea of submission if we were better at loving and serving them, right? 
Maybe they'd be less disgusted at the idea of submission if we were better at loving and serving them, putting their needs above our needs. Are you kidding me? That's what he's called us to. That's what we men have been called to, that, that, that we would literally elevate them above our, ourselves, loving and serving them at every opportunity. That is the model that he's put in place. That's the example that he's set. And a lot of times you say to yourself, is that even possible? Women say, oh, we've got the hardest part. Men are like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm called to love like Jesus Christ did. Like, are, are you serious? Like, how is that even possible? But if you think about it, he wouldn't call us to something that we weren't capable of. Now, physically, personally, we're not capable of this. But in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why this is all in conjunction to this conversation we just had last week about being fully, continually submitted to the Spirit's leading in my life, doing things that aren't necessarily natural in the flesh. That's what He's called us to. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for this with the ultimate end goal of purifying her, moving her towards Christ's likeness. See, the agent for purification there is the word, all of this with that intent, the very, having the very best in mind for our spouse. If it doesn't make sense for us, it takes, he takes it even further in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Did you catch that? Love her like your own body. This idea, you think about it, there's no stronger human drive than self-protection. I was reading this week just these different articles of, of all these survival stories, the extents and the extremes that people go to to try to save their own life, to protect this house, this body, right? We go to extreme measures because why? We care about our body. We want to protect it. We want to provide for it. I was well, reading about the, the story of Aaron uh, Ralston. I don't know if you know they made the movie 127 Hours about this guy literally had to cut, did anybody see this? That's brutal. Had to cut his own arm off to, to, to rest, to, to save his life. You see, we do go to extremes to, to save and rescue and protect our own bodies. And what he describes here is saying, listen, saying, you have to understand, you and your spouse are one. You're one body. Whatever you've done to her, it's as if you've done it to yourself. If this sinks in and takes root, that changes everything in our perspective on marriage. How we treat her is like how we treat ourselves. It doesn't make sense. We do lots of things to nourish and care for and, and take care of our, our bodies, all kinds of different extremes that we go to, and that's what he calls us to. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And here's where we start to see that this is a little bit bigger than ourselves. We're a picture within our marriage of what Christ's relationship is with the church, with us. And what does he say? Because we are members of his body. He's saying it, we're modeling what is true about us as the church. We are literally part of the body of Christ. How crazy is that reality? 
letting that sink in a bit to our, our, our psyche, that we're the body of, of Christ. We get confused with this, that think that these texts are pointing to us just trying to have the very best marriage possible so you can be happy and, 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 and skip your way through life. No, that's not it. That, that might be the outcome, but that's not the goal. Your, your happiness and your perfect marriage isn't the end goal. Your end goal, as we see here, is bigger than that. It's to be a picture to the world around us of Christ and His church. We're the bride of Christ. And He's like, you get to be the one picture that the world sees of that. Take a look in verse 31. We see that it's not about us. In fact, why don't you tell the person just to set the pace here that it's not about you. Uh, let's, let's do that. That's going to help. That's going to help us. It's not just about you. Okay, nobody's doing that. All right, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We're familiar with this. This is taken from Genesis. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. A lot said there. You see first he points out this whole marriage thing is a profound. It says this mystery is profound. What mystery is he talking about? He's literally talking about the, how profound and what a crazy thing marriage is. You ever notice that when you're close to things or you're familiar with things, they seem a little bit less crazy, but sometimes when you step away from them, you're like, whoa, this is kind of nutty. Look what, what he points to as marriage. He's, he says, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother. Think about that for a second. Why in the world would you ever want to leave a good father and mother? Up until then, they've taken perfectly good care of you. They're part, you're, 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 you're of the same blood. They've been faithful. Some parents are like, why would my kids ever want to leave my house? Like, why? I'm the best parent ever. Why would they want to do that? That's crazy in and of itself to leave your parents, your mother and father. And then it says, and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast. The, the term hold fast, fast literally means to be glued or cemented together with something, glued or cemented together with something. So you're leaving what's familiar, mom and dad, to be cemented with somebody that you thought was cute across the room. Like seriously, like how crazy is that? Somebody that you're not related to. You don't have the same bloodline. You barely, you've only seen the best side of them for a very short period of time, and you're going to be cemented to them, glued together with them. Are you kidding me? Like that, I would, I would describe that as a profound mystery. Like anybody that's married ever look across at the person that you're married to and be like, who is that? Like, who, who is this? Who is this person? It's a profound mystery as to why you would do that. You would cement yourself to somebody that you're not related to, a stranger, an equivalent sinner. You two become one flesh with this random sinner who's strange this stranger who sins as much or more than ourselves that you become one flesh this is a mystery and it refers you see it in the text and i'm saying that it refers to christ and the church 
This mystery of marriage that many in this room are a part of, some not, some, some are, this mystery, it's profound. It's a picture of Christ and the church, that he took somebody that was on the outside, unrelated, a, a, a stranger, if you will, and decided to cement himself to us, to connect us together inseparably. This is the picture that we're to give the world. It might be your marriage might be the only picture the world ever sees of Christ and his church and his bride. It's a lot of potential. It's also a lot of weight and responsibility, right? If you're the, the picture that he's counting on, you're like, man, I, I better get this thing better get this thing right. There's a lot in line here. It paints the picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. He took strangers and made them part of his family. It's a powerful witness to a selfish world where everyone is fighting for his or her own rights. It's a powerful picture. When we're a, a sacrificial marriage where one's serving, one's submitting, talk about the opposite of everything that message that our culture sends. Are you kidding me? We couldn't be more controversial than that if we got this right, but that's what he calls us to. It's a trust exercise. He ends with just these practical words. He says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Basically summarizing what he's already said thus far, he ends with this final charge. Men, love your wife like yourself. Love your wife like yourself. Regardless, it's not saying if she respects you or when she deserves it or, or when she's been kind to you, when she's made a good meal. Like it doesn't say any of that. It says just, just do it. It's, it's a trust exercise. That's what we're called to do, men. That's what we're called to do. And I'll tell you what, practically speaking, when you're doing a good job of loving and serving your spouse, when that's going right on our end, are you kidding me? What wife, how often do you hear of a wife saying, oh, I'm just so tired of my husband always serving me and going the extra mile to put my needs above his, oh, I can't submit to that. That is a conversation you never hear. You don't ever hear that conversation. Men, we take responsibility for what's within our control, and the call that we have is to love and serve our wife, regardless of the outcome. This is as unto the Lord. Wives, the same thing is true. What is he called to? He adds, before we saw submission, but it's very directly connected to this. He says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respects her husband. You see, how often in marriage counseling, what are the two things that are the biggest complaint that somebody hear, that, that, that you'll hear? The wife will say, I don't feel like I'm being loved. And what does the husband say? Well, I don't feel like I'm being respected. Are you serious? Maybe God knew what he was talking about. Maybe he had a plan in place that could actually function to meet the needs of each other. That's what he calls us to. This is a trust exercise. And it's not my words, it's his words. So don't shoot the messenger. 
I wanted to end just by giving us just a couple of minutes because I think, personally, as I'm going through this, when you see this, the mirror, you see the, uh, the, the picture of this, you're just like, man, I fall short in a lot of areas as it relates to this. I wanted to just give us a few moments while Chad's just playing up here, just to be quiet before the Lord. Take some of this, wrestle through this. How am I doing? How, how am I, maybe this needs to be just a few moments of confession before God and say, God, I have blown it. I have not done well of loving and serving my wife. I have not done well uh, of submitting to my husband and showing him respect. Let's take a little bit of time of self-reflection. That might be a time of confession. It also might be a time of new commitment before God. I'm just going to give us the gift of a few moments of silence, and then I'll close our time in prayer. God, we just come to you right now. We acknowledge that this picture that you painted has gotten pretty tainted. Sometimes even hard to know what it looks like anymore because of the misuse of authority. God, I pray that you'd repair, that you'd restore, that you'd bring things back to your design, God. I pray that we would take responsibility, those of us who are married in the room, for our part in this. There'd be a new level of commitment to love and respect. I pray that you'd grow us in this. We fully acknowledge that we can't do this on our own. That's why even now, we're collectively asking for your help. Pray for the person here that's maybe not married and wrestling through how this makes sense. Thank you that all these principles are so transferable in other areas of relationships and context there, this idea of submitting to one another you've called us to. What if this little church God in Agora got this right? What if we got this submission thing right? What if we got the putting others' needs above our own right? confident those around would take notice. We thank you so much that you've outlined the picture. We thank you so much that you've provided the power source to do it. We ask for that even here this morning. We submit to you even in this area that sometimes doesn't make sense. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. I pray God gives us the strength to live out these things that wouldn't just be adding to their pile-high mile of knowledge that we have, that it would actually move towards influence and shaping the way we live. Amen? God bless you. Have a great week.